Welcome to the Soul Mama podcast, where we have deep and honest conversations about healing, awakening, spirituality, and wellness on the sacred journey of conscious motherhood. We ask how we can walk this path in a way that nourishes, elevates, and heals us and our children. We deserve space and time to slow down and tune in to our hearts, to heal ourselves, and to honor our highest callings. It starts with us. I'm Nahanda Truscott-Reed. I'm a mother, holistic wellness coach, writer, and speaker, and I am passionate about all of the ways we can raise our consciousness and come into more alignment and power as women and mothers. So we can heal the past and make more empowered choices for the future. Our stories and voices matter. It is my intention that these conversations inspire, motivate, and move you on your own Soul Mama journey. I'm so honored that you're here. Dr. Kimwani McDonald was born and raised in a Rasta family in Jamaica and has lived and studied in Ethiopia and Tanzania. Dr. Kamwani is a qualified vinyasa and kemetic yoga teacher and has taught classes all over the world. She is a graduate of Stanford University and has a doctorate in naturopathic medicine, focusing on an integrative approach to well-being, using herbs, nutrition, lifestyle and perspective shifts. Dr. Kamwani is a mother of two and now works out of her practice in Jamaica. What I loved about this conversation is that Kamwani felt like a long lost friend. We've got so much in common. She's humble and honest and speaks about her struggles as well as her triumphs. We talk about how different her birth and her motherhood experiences have been each time and what motivates her to keep going. I know her assuring wisdom in this conversation is going to uplift you. Enjoy. Greetings, Dr. Kamani Borland. Good morning. How are you? How are you feeling? How are you doing today? I'm doing really good. It's still dawn on my side of the world. So dawn always has a nice vibe to it. <laughs> uh, I'm just so grateful that you are here to join me in this conversation. Welcome to the Soul Mama podcast. Um, for me, it was just really important to begin conversations that went deeper you know, into motherhood, into what it means for us as women of color and for the healing and the growth that it has the potential for us as women to experience. And I first came across your work on Instagram, mm -hmm. actually. <laughs> um, and this is a few years ago where I saw you were quite visible in the yoga world and being a Caribbean woman coming from Jamaica, it was a real positive role model for me just to see more women of color stepping into this space, you know, as a yoga teacher and actually creating things that were for the community, not just with the emphasis on, on tourism, right? And so I followed your journey since then. And I know you've since gone on to become a naturopathic doctor. And so being able to see that transition has been really beautiful. So thank you for sharing your journey. And I just wondered if you could speak a little bit as to how that has been for you. Yeah, sure. So, um, so yeah, so basically when I did my, um, so after undergrad, that was actually when I was introduced to my first yoga class and I had such a 
lasting impact on me. Um, and then I came back home to Jamaica and actually did a year of medical school. And during that time, that was when I did a yoga teacher training. And, um, you know, it, it just changed my world. I was like, oh my gosh, this is an, a way of being that I didn't, you know, know about. This is a, a career path, potentially. This is a way that um, we can really help to um, usher people on a, a, on, on a true healing journey, not just, you know, medications and, um, and that kind of thing. And so I used to teach yoga on the lawns at university. And then I, um, my dad has an outdoor space and I would teach yoga out, outside and it wasn't even a real place yet. And I was just teaching as much as I could. And, um, and then um, there came a point where neither yoga nor um, medical school um, felt like it was giving me all the tools that I, I wanted and needed. And um, that was when I decided to um, leave medical school in Jamaica and head back to the U.S. for a doctoral program in naturopathic medicine. Um, and I literally saw the program online. I was just like, yeah, there must be something else out here. And I went online and I liked their website. And I was like, yeah, this looks pretty official. <laughs> and then, um, so it was a huge leap of faith in every single way. And I went with my family um, no clear way and vision of how I was going to actually pay tuition. It's a private university with extremely expensive. And as an international student, I didn't get student loans. So I literally had to fork that money out of my pocket and that I didn't have it. And so um, a big part of my journey was a huge crowdfunding campaign. Um, so that was a big deal. I'm sure you saw that as you followed. Thank you for being a part of it. No, of course. <laughs> That's really course. sweet to hear. Yeah. So yeah. So that's what brought me there. And then I stayed, I did um, that program for five whole years and um, I had another baby while I was in school. And then June 2018, I graduated and um, finding myself back in Jamaica, actually somewhat unexpectedly and um, practicing and teaching again. And so um, big full circle is happening right now. Um, it's, yeah, it's super cool to watch. Well, massive, massive congratulations, because I know that journey cannot be easy, you know, having to uproot the whole family, you know, live in a different place and be studying and yeah. be managing the house yeah. and be managing the children and having another baby in that time. Yeah. Like, how, how did you balance <laughs> that thing? I'm well, so, okay, I will tell you, my secret open is my mom, not because she was I mean, she's always, she's never missed one of our you know, births ever. She's never missed a major event, but she's a very busy working woman. And so it's not like I had the benefits of like, you know, handing the baby off the grandma, but just in terms of our role model and her presence and her message throughout our whole childhood that children don't stop you from doing what you need to do. They enhance your journey. And um, I think that subconscious messaging was always there for me. and. I knew I wanted a family. I knew I wanted, or I thought I wanted a big family that changed a little bit. But <laughs> I have two right now. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I need I to reassess. Try for one more. <laughs> and she had five of us. And I just, I'm just like, how the hell? So I ask her that question every day. And um, how did she do it? Did but, she have a, a massive support network around her at the time? So that's a good question. When she started her PhD program in the US, her mom was there with us at that time. It was just me and my older sister. But her mom was also sick at the time. Um, and then when she moved back home, so in Jamaica, 
you can get things a lot cheaper. Labor is a lot mm. cheaper in Jamaica. So um, you'll find that a lot of families have um, help at mm. home. So like living help. And then you, you could have um, someone that helps with the house. And you can also have someone that helps um, specifically with the kids. And so we definitely had... So, oh, let me say this too. My dad was extremely present um, for us as kids. He's the one that would drop off to schools, pickups, you know, was at home until right. mommy came home. Um, but yeah, we also had, we always had someone, um, here, um, helping out in the house. So that was huge. I don't think if this was a U.S. context, it would be as attainable. It. it was just, it would just be too impossible. You know? And I find that this is one of the things that modern Western women are struggling with, right? You know, the mm. whole pressure mm. on the nuclear family to be the be all and end all to those children. And, you know, the lack of the village is what's breaking totally. so many of us because it's totally. not possible. And you know, the responsibility Literally. and the overwhelm when you have young kids yeah. and in, in a climate like the UK that where I'm living, that means you're indoors yeah. every day, right? Yeah. And it's just like, yeah. that is physically not how it was designed to be, right? Yes. So yes, seeing totally. different models, seeing the possibility of having your mother as that example of a woman who continued her purpose, continued her passions and had the support of others. And yes, they may have had to have been paid for their time. It might not have been family members, but, you know, she found a way which supported you guys growing up and then supported her to continue her dreams as well. And that's obviously good stead for your journey and for your path. Totally, totally. So yeah, I would say all of the models that I see um, had help in yeah. some way. And usually it comes from, for me, it, it also came largely from my husband. Um, and then it just came from like reaching out. Like I remember my son's school, um, he went to a really small um, kind of alternative school. And that really became my community there. Yes. And I would lean on, I mean, I, I mean, play dates were just like, are you ready for another play date? There's an exam tomorrow. Are you ready? You know, so that was um, the way that that helped a lot. Um, other mamas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so coming back to the journey of motherhood, I know your eldest son is is 10 now. Is that right? He's 11. Right. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what was that journey like coming into motherhood for the first time? What did that awaken in you? Oof. That was a big one. I was only, so I had him, I turned 21 in April and I had him in May. So I was a baby still, yeah. Um, so on my 21st birthday, I was like huge. And I was also, I was a sophomore in college, in undergrad. And I went to a, a private university um, that, you know, people went there for work and school. And, you know, it's a, a very high achieving place and um, so people weren't high. It wasn't like a larger public community college or, you know, where people have babies, go to school, carry on at life. Right. So it was rough. I didn't have anyone else with me really. Um, and so that was hard. That was really hard. And then, um, the birthing process itself, oof, I was, um, again, young, totally uninformed and had this grand idea of what I wanted the birth to be like, but went to like the super mainstream hospital and, um, it just did not turn out the way I imagined. Right. And that was really hard. <clears throat> I was in labor for like um, 36 hours and then ended up having a C-section. It was extremely traumatic. Um, 
So that was rough. So I would say in general, it was rough. Mm. Um, but, um, and then just the transition, like, and then also being in school and it was the first time me and my husband were living together. So that was another big transition. Um, yeah, it was hard. I ain't gonna lie. Um, and then he had, my son had a really bad eczema. Um, and that was a really rough one to navigate. So if I could sum it up, I would say it was hard. <laughs> yeah. Mm, I really thank you for that honesty because I think so many times we have these conversations is about trying to pretend or prove that, you know, especially when you're in this space of awareness, consciousness and right. wellness, it's like you're, there's even more pressure to have this perfect birth sure. and this natural experience and to then have this easeful transition. And I just think more women actually speak into the truth of what mm-hmm. they went through and feeling able to share that and the lessons that came out of that is just going to allow for that diversity of reality, right? Totally. Um, um, so that sounds like it was almost the beginning of your healing journey. Would that be right in saying so? Definitely, definitely. And it's interesting to me that I felt like I was so clear on what I wanted, even though I really, I didn't have a model of what, I don't remember any of my mom's births. I don't remember like being super, um, I mean, I suppose I was raised that way, but there, I think I surprised myself as to the conviction I had of what I felt like a birth should be like right. um, and the way I wanted to experience it. So it definitely was a shakeup because we know that when, when, you know, transformation and healing happens from the darkest places. And so it definitely was my um, wake up call to, um, first of all, the reality of systems healing systems or lack thereof in the u.s that was a big one um it definitely was a wake-up call to the the lack of um healing systems in the regular medical field so not just when it comes to birth but also when i was experiencing going through doctor Mm. to doctor hospital to hospital with my son um so yeah it was it was a huge i mean talk about the initiation into adulthood and uh, motherhood it was huge Yeah. And I think a lot of us experience it in that way. It's like, you know, a lot of emphasis is put on the birth and Mm. less preparation on actually the motherhood. Right. And and often those first weeks of motherhood, you can just be healing from the birth, like, you know, and so it's, it's a massive, intense, almost, almost fire. I, I just feel it like a kind of a rites of passage almost that we have to go through as women. It's not to over identify with the path of struggle, but it's realize that there is an opportunity in there from which there's growth and there's transformation, right? Sure. And so how did that affect your approach when it comes to working with women, mm. working with women on their birth journey and, and their motherhood journeys in your practice now? So um, I think the the approach of just keeping it so real as you said is is literally medicine for people Mm. because um that's what we need right now like ain't nobody got time for the facade and so (laughs) um like come on now are you kidding me so there is i think um where people really resonate with working with me that um you know i'm gonna keep it real and in keeping it real it's it's both sides of us just being um super compassionate and being super excited and being and you know you know um 
given the whole beautiful impression of what a birth can be like and the, the opportunities and the options and how amazing motherhood is and la 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 and the other side of it that's really important um and you know there's nothing like having experienced something firsthand and then you can actually um speak on it um so that's also um big and there are very few people that really want polarized um information right because they're coming to you and there's another thing that happens when people are pregnant all of a sudden these strong ideas of no i don't want any of this and i don't want this and then you know in and all of a sudden now when the reality of the pain hits you when the reality of you having a new baby that you are now fully responsible for all of a sudden those strong ideals that you used to hold on super tight to get a little looser, right? They get your world, your perspective opens up a little bit more. You get a little bit more non-judgmental, a little bit more understanding of why someone might choose, for example, to give their kid a vaccine, even though you were like super anti-vax before or whatever, right? So I think that softness um, is really beautiful when you come into motherhood. Um, And I think that that is why when people are pregnant or have a newborn baby, um, the way that... um, my approach to working with them is making sure I'm giving them the full um, breadth of the knowledge, all of the things, right? Because um, they're super vulnerable, um, super ready to hear um, what is true, what is right, what are my options. So how was your second birth different with all of the knowledge that you had then gained? Because your, your younger son is how old now? Youngest son will be four um, at the end of the year. How did you channel that knowledge into that experience? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I attempted a VBAC, so that's vaginal birth after C-section. Um, and I was a little bit more um, realistic <laughs> about my expectation. <laughs> and so... <laughs> And I wasn't even allowed to in Washington State. I wasn't even, I couldn't even get a midwife at home. So once you have um, a C-section before, to have a vaginal birth after that is considered a liability. So there are very few midwives that will be willing to come to your home and actually do it. You're considered a high risk pregnancy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to find a hospital, which was actually 45 minutes away from my home, that, um, um, midwives worked in and that were open, you know, had a decent VBAC rate and that were super open. And I felt like would actually support me in trying to do that. So definitely more informed um, and feeling a lot more like I could make um, decisions from an empowered yes. place, having understood the system a little bit more, having gone through the experience um, and just the reality of what my life was at the time, you know, um, I couldn't go to a birth center again for the same reason that I had a cesarean birth before. So my options were relatively limited, but I could still kind of play with what I had and kind of see if I could push the boundaries a little bit. And um, so I was able to go into labor at home, which was really nice for me because I had an ex, I was induced with my first one. So that was really nice for me to, experience my that wisdom of my own body um i really I and mean, that was really powerful for me um just be like okay this my body said this time and no one else said it was it's, that was me that came from within me and that was really really empowering to feel and then i um labored at home for a really long time labored in the car oh my god that long journey um and then um labored in the hospital for a bit the midwife was super 
um, understanding, pretty good experience um, overall. Um, yeah, I want, you know, little annoyances on the way when the nurse is trying to like poke you and ask a question and you're just like, I have been to premature every single week. You can look in the computer for exactly. these questions. I'm in labor. Leave me, me alone. Yeah, exactly. So those moments. <laughs> oh my God. I got so mad. Um, so yeah. So then there came a point where um, the baby wasn't um, descending anymore and um, the midwife really said to me, like, we can keep going, we can keep pushing, we can keep trying, but I'll just tell you that you're more than likely going to end up in an emergency C-section. So we can either do that way or we can go calmly into the operating theater and do a calm mm. C-section as opposed to an emergency mm. one. And so, um, so that's what we did. I was just like, all right, let's just do it. So there was a lot of um, letting go, a lot more letting go mm. in that birth a lot more of just being just accepting the system that I was in I wasn't um I wasn't being unreasonable um and so it was a little softer you know the Mm. process um a little less force a little more um acceptance you know for better or for worse Mm. but that was the way that that one panned out yes But I think that's so important because I think especially when you have this kind of idea in your mind about natural birth equaling success and anything else equaling failure, and there can be all of this guilt attached to the fact that you find yourself, if you do, in that kind of situation where things kind of go beyond your control. Um, And women perceive that as like, I could have done more or I should have done something different. And we take on that responsibility. And it's like, actually, I I did hypnobirthing with my daughter. And one of the things that I thought was really powerful was that it's not about controlling the outcomes. It's about controlling Mm. your responses right? Mm. And so if you can come into an empowered space and being in a calm place where you're making choices, you're obviously not in the mind frame to kind of rationalize things. But if instinctually you can get into that feeling space of everything is going to be okay and I'm okay and I am making this choice because it's the best choice for me and the baby right now, then there isn't that resistance. And it's often the resistance that compounds the trauma, not not the actual you know thing that's taking place it's our way of responding to it so the fact that you were able to kind of switch internally and come come to that acceptance and surrender or be okay this is the best thing to happen at this stage right now for me and the baby and we're going to go forward with that in peace like that is totally super empowering so yeah and it was I mean and it didn't come you know those things don't come overnight right that was that was being super traumatized by my first birth and holding so much guilt and um you know just so much like lots and lots and just the interpersonal relationships that were there and who you know my husband wanting something but not experiencing it and not really getting Mm. it (laughs) and um so there's just a lot of heaviness that came from that experience and you know I had the benefit of those years between them that allowed me the room and space um, to grow and heal and really just come to terms with what happened. And And create a different experience the second time around. Exactly. Which is healing in and of itself because... I work with women now who the only reason they're not conceiving having a second or third baby is because of their experiences of the first birth. And they don't Mm. realize how deep that's blocking 
right? Mm, the fear that yeah. has come up from that. And so to be able to kind of begin that healing, both for yourself and for your husband, and then to realize like, no, I'm yielding to this experience now, like that is a complete journey and, and an embodiment of the yogic principles you know, which I'm sure one of the things that I wanted to ask about is how else does that play out in your life? We can see how that played out in birth, in your ability to kind of remain calm and empowered in that space. But how else does it play into your daily, into your daily life and experience? Mm, mm, good question. I mean, I don't know if I can identify one way. It's, um, it's every way. And I think that's why yoga had such an impact on me because I felt like it was a it was a tool that I could use in relationships at work you know how I wanted to be a mother um let me see if I can give a specific example um I think there is a sense of um I like to call it like zooming out so sometimes when we're too entrapped in our mind first of all and then entrapped in our interpersonal relationships second of all then entrapped in the location in which we were born and raised and work and then I mean there are just so many ways where we just like trap our mm, and limit yeah yeah um I find that yoga philosophy has been able to teach me how to zoom out and just to see the bigger picture. And if you think mm-hmm. about it, that really makes everything small. That makes everything that you think is so important a lot more insignificant, which ironically mm-hmm. um, is, it doesn't make it meaningless. It just makes it more meaningful on a, on a, on a larger scale. It just allows you to see the pieces of the puzzle um from the top as opposed to from inside which means that you can there's greater understanding there's greater awareness you can um uh there's less attachment um so you just move through the world with a, a heightened awareness of your place of the roles you're playing the ways things you say and do have an impact um and so i would say that would be the overarching way that yoga um really affects everything I do. Um it gives me a, a new perspective um that's not so entangled and entrapped in the mm. mind, the workings of the mind, because it just mm. that can take you away. Exactly. Because so much of life is is the stories, right? right. The stories that we tell ourselves. Yeah. And these things aren't often founded in reality. They're just little journeys that, you know, our mind brings us on. And you're so right to be able to kind of have a practice or a approach to life that allows you that space and totally. freedom. Yeah. I know for me, my yoga practice has been the one thing that I've continued through yeah. motherhood. Yeah. And I've actually kept it like a kind of sacred mm. thing that I do on a Sunday that I leave the house for yeah. because sometimes when I'm just relying on my my home practice 
there's so many other things that can interrupt that. And, totally. you know, if baby's crying or not feeling settled, it's just yes. not going to happen that day. Whereas when I said to my husband, listen, this is a, a, a sacred thing that has non-negotiable. I yes. need to have this space and time. And sometimes I just find myself lying at the yoga studio, like while everybody else is doing the yoga flow wow. and I'm just lying there soaking up the vibes because my body actually needs rest in that wow. time, right? Yeah. And so it's just giving myself that permission and that space to tune into my body, to yeah. tune into my breath. And to really allow more space. And by the time I come back, that renewal that I feel, it's like it's worth it. Everybody's yes. like, yep, give mommy her yoga time. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's going to work out better for all of us. Yeah. Right? Um, so is that something that you've managed to maintain in your own kind of daily practice at home? Or do you kind of just dip into it when you're getting into teaching? Or yeah. how does it actually play out? Yeah, good question. Um I love that approach. I've heard I've heard that from a lot of mamas that they're just like everyone knows that this is good for the family, so we're just gonna exactly. give that mama that time. Exactly. Um, and it's because the difference is just so dramatic, you know. It really is. Um, so I would say I go through phases um, where it I prioritize it and. Um, you know, so I would say the phase lasts for about three months where it becomes a priority. I do it super regularly. And I'm also the person where I need to go um, out and do yeah. it for it to reap the full benefits of it. A home practice is difficult um, with kids, I think. Maybe if you don't have kids, it'll be a little bit easier. But with kids, it's yeah. hard. And running at home, it's really hard to separate those things. Um, not impossible, but difficult. Um and so on my office, so there's never a time when yoga leaves me completely. As you said, even if it's just rolling the mat beside my bed and lying in child's, you know, sitting in child's pose for 10 minutes or, you know, doing a 10 minute shavasana before I actually just crawl into bed or whatever form it takes, it's always there. Um, mm. And it just depends on my emotional capacity. It depends on my actual, like how busy I am, what can I accomplish today? Um, so the, I would say on the phases that I'm not going to a studio and, um, you know, being super active, doing it twice a week, um, I am doing a home practice to some degree. So like I'll go through a phase where I'm subscribed to some, um, online teacher, um, online teacher's class that I really like. And I know that that's really all I can accomplish, whether it's finances, whether it is, um, you know, my ability to drive somewhere, whatever it is. So it never leaves me, but it takes on different forms. Mm. Um, and part of what I like about teaching is that it force, it, it provides me an opportunity to be disciplined again, to commit to it again. Yes. Because when you teach and not practice, it's super, um, um, what would be the word? I don't know. It feels super meaningless to me. And like, I'm putting on a show and I really don't like that feeling. So I, when I know I have to teach, um, I, you know, I get my ish together really quick. Um, it's a, it's I, a good motivation. It's a good right? motivation. I'm it's like that too. Whenever I like externally commit to something, um, maybe that's why I've enjoyed Instagram over these years because it helps. Yes, um, it's that accountability. Yeah. It's real for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm exactly the same. I've recently, um, started doing, uh, women's circles. Mm. So I do the soul mama circle, which is mm. just a space for mothers to come together and, and heal and share mm. and be together. Um, and when I'm designing the sequences of movement that we're going to use, 
I'm like, I have to know this. Yes. Like, I actually have to do this. Like yes. to be in integrity with what I'm actually putting out there. Totally. I have to live it. Right. Totally. And so sometimes by even stepping into that space of leadership, you know, as being a teacher or a practitioner, sure. it, it forces us to step up into that role in a way that it then benefits us in our daily lives. I, totally. I love that. And so aside from yoga, what other spiritual tools or wellness practices have you found have really supported your health and well-being um, and just feeling good? Mm. So I would say um, the way that I was raised within a Rastafari philosophy and tradition and culture, um, first of all, is very aligned um, with yoga philosophy outside of the kind of historical um, cultural context, just the philosophy. Um, and that's probably why yoga was just like an obvious um, stepping stone for me or resonated so deeply with me. Um, but I would say that tradition um, is so much a part of me. It was how we lived um, as kids. And um, I would say one of the most impactful things is the relationship that Rastas have with nature and mm. um, the non-negotiable, like non, you know, like, oh my God, I'm so connected to nature, just is, right? You just are. Um, that that has played out, you know, very significantly for me in my life. Um, mm. And it usually takes a return to Jamaica where I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, how do we overlook this, you know, especially mm. in the third world, how, uh, the first world? Like, how do we, how do we survive? How can we expect to feel whole in a box? In a <laughs> concrete jungle. Literally. And we think about it and we know it, right? If you're aware in any way, you know it. But until you step out and feel the difference, um, it's just so... It's so powerful for me. And even as a, a doctor and thinking about recommendations I've made for people. And I mean, it's just like, of course, you're feeling anxious and depressed and isolated. And you know. Exactly. When was the last time you saw the grass and the trees? Oh when was the last time you stepped outside of a box? Oh, my gosh. Where you stepped outside of a screen? Seriously. Oh, I completely feel you on that. I yes. also grew up in a Rasta home. Mm. Um, my father's Grenadian. Mm. And we recently took the family back there to spend a month. Wow. Um, and just being in that that everyday nature, like you wake up, you're out your house, you don't come back into your house until nightfall, <laughs> and everything is is just outside, and just that freedom and being yes. able to see my child, my children running around bare feet Seriously. and learning all the new things. I was literally like, this is life. We actually haven't been living in literally. London wow. because we've literally been in a in a in a box, wow. driving in a box to another box like wow. there's this is not life and that overwhelming realization really hit me yeah. um this year and I thought to myself you know I have to I have to find a way yeah. to allow my family to experience this and yeah. so it sounds like this is now kind of the the space that you're you're finding yourself in now are you transitioning your family to Jamaica for good now oh that is a question that is a question the last I'll say the last like solid year of my life has been just a walking question mark. And I think there's a lot of overthinking that's happening and a lot of like, like, you know, 
desperately trying to cling to an answer or, you know, a decision. And I'm a very like, okay, we're doing this, let's do this, you know? And so when things get ambiguous, it's really hard for me. That's where my yoga practice whoo, has to come in. Um, but um, basically there was, once I graduated, um, I had a residency opportunity and there was a, a, a moment where the work permits time didn't align with when the student visa ended so these are caribbean people problems where you have no visa <clears throat> and um so we had to come home and it was relatively unexpected we didn't really have much in place like right now i'm still in my parents home um so um I'm here now and it's been such a crazy teacher to me that whenever someone asks me that, I literally can only say I'm here right now. This is where I am right now. Wow. Yeah. But do you know what? It sounds like that has actually been the thing that has served you. You know, when you describe the process of deciding that you were going to study to be the natu- yeah. a naturopathic doctor and not knowing where that money was going to come yes. from, but taking the step anyway. Yes. And then, you know, the road starts to form beneath your feet. and be able to just sit in that and be like, I don't actually know, but I'm good with that. You know, we're here. <laughs> I'm we're here, here right, right now. now. I wouldn't go as far as to say I'm good with, I'm getting better with it. And it's been, right. it's becoming more um, enjoyable and fun and almost exciting because I have options. An and they're, yeah. And they're just, you know, you watch things unfold in a way that you didn't plan. And it's, it's super magical. Like it's, it's really, really cool to watch. Um, but as I said, I'm like, I'm a Taurus and I really like to plan and like to stay stable and grounded. And so it's really, really challenging. It's a challenge. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I wish you, I wish you the best with all of that unfolding. I mean, how have you found it as you started practicing in Jamaica now? How Mm -hmm. has that been kind of serving, serving the community? How has that experience been? Yeah, it's been amazing. I mean, this is always, you really have to be careful about how, um, the vision you hold, because it's like it, in a lot of ways, no matter what, um, like rational, logical steps you take, um, if your vision is strong enough and you hold it strong enough, it's just going to play out somewhere or another. <laughs> and so, so this yeah, was always the dream, right? Always, always. It just right. wasn't, I didn't imagine it to be quite yet. And in this way, and, um, so it's been amazing, like literally, um, reconnecting with all of my yoga students, yoga teachers, yoga community. And then on top of it, interacting in a whole new way with a whole new depth. Um, And um, the office I'm at was actually with a a doctor that I had shadowed. And so while I was in the program, I would come down in a summer and just shadow and work with her. So she's a medical doctor, but she does integrative medicine. And she was one of the few ones that I knew about. Um, and she just totally opened her space to me and she was just like, do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it. And it was just a wide open field for me. And then, um, yeah, having people literally watch that full journey and, and come and see me as patients and clients, um, it's been really, really cool. And it's still new. It's still super brand new. So I've maybe seen maybe seen, I don't know, maybe 30 people so far since being here. Um, So there's a lot that's still new. There's a lot, a lot of growth and a lot of um, expansion that's going to happen really quickly. So um, yeah, it's a super exciting time. 
yes, putting into practice everything that you've been learning and studying and actually seeing how that plays out in other people's real lives. Um, and for those who maybe not are not so familiar with the whole naturopathic, um, you know, uh, practices and philosophy. The way I understand it is that it's a kind of um, integration between the alternative healing modalities and the more conventional Western medicine. And we've been conditioned, or at least I know I have been, to disassociate with the kind of Western convention medicine, which seems to be more about symptoms, treatment, and depression rather than healing right um and so the two have always seemed quite polarized how how does naturopathic medicine bring those together and how have you found that coming from a from a rasta background and you know, introducing some of these more conventional ideas so i think i really um i wonder how so there are many ways that people do this integration right there is i don't know if you know maybe you or your audience knows about functional medicine there's also, um, um, so if you're a medical doctor and you're interested in natural medicine or you want to dabble a little bit or, you know, whatever it is, you can take a couple passes. The two main ones are um, doing a extra training in functional medicine, which is the, the philosophy there is really getting to the root cause of um, a disease. And usually from their perspective, the root cause is um, based on some kind of a deficiency. So some kind of nutrient deficiency, mineral deficiency, that kind of thing. Um, or you can actually do a, a residency in integrated medicine, right? So there's an academy of integrated medicine and you basically learn those tools of like what herbs, what supplements, that kind of thing. But what I find hard to understand or imagine must be difficult for um, MDs to kind of negotiate is, is the fact that it is a very different model of care. And so um, we have a term called, called green all allopathy. So allopathy is um, basically the the idea of being um, separate. So there is a disease over there and I'm going to cure that disease over there right. with something. So you get trained in medical school to cure that disease over there with a in drug. In isolation. Right. And then you, um, if you do this extra training in natural medicine, you now are learning how to deal with that disease over there with a supplement or a herb. And that's, um, that's fine because herbs and supplements surely can address um, pathology on that level. But in terms of naturopathic medicine, what to me um, is so beautiful and helpful about it is that it's a philosophy behind, it's, it's a healing philosophy. And so the method, the therapeutic methods that you use are based on that philosophy as opposed to based on the pathology over there. So it's right. exactly what you said. It's based on, it, it's using tools to facilitate the natural healing process that happens in the body um, as opposed to just trying to take care of some disease that is separate from the self. Um, so it is a, a system of integration by the mere fact of understanding that the body is complex and we have to interface with the body and interface with disease and interface with the healing process at many different levels. And we have many different tools. So it is more about understanding the science and the arts of when a tool is needed, when a tool is inappropriate and when it's appropriate, as opposed to it being a decision of um, kind of similar to the birth um, conversation we're having, right? We can totally, um, 
shun a certain way or a certain tool. But what happens when you need the tool? If your kid has um, pneumonia, I mean, and it's severe, sure, you can go into the bush and draft for some herbs and that, sh- you know, they're definitely herbal practitioners that can deal with that level of pathology at that, in that way. But for me, at least, I would like to draw on the tool, please, of conventional medicine to make sure my, my like, four-month-old baby is not going to die on me. Mm-hmm. So we have to understand um, when and how. And that is a living, breathing practice. It's not yeah. just this herb is anti-inflammatory and we're going to push it over here on this inflammation. Right? It's a little bit more nuanced and complex on that. Yeah. And actually even having the, the space for nuance and complexity to exist, you know, is in the NHS, um, in, in London, our whole impression of doctors is just literally just prescription writers. Right. And they're so hard pressed on time and there isn't really any, I would say, um, real attention to the patient, really listening to what the patient's saying, especially when we're thinking about the motherhood journey, you know, women of color going into that system. There is a whole debate at the moment about, you know, black women's voices not being heard, um, about black women's pain not being um, respected. Um, And obviously there's a lot of statistics that have come out now about the black maternal mortality rate. Um, And so I wonder how that's different in somewhere like Jamaica, Mm. where race doesn't show up in the same way, Mm. but the systems are still in place that maybe don't value that kind of personal um, uh, pain to, to come through. How how does that play out for you? Yeah, Oof, that's a big one. Um, it's it's difficult working in a poor country, um, and it's you're right. It just shows up in it's such a different um, experience because you live in a predominantly black country, but it's still polarized across um, income lines. So you'll have, and then of course, race and um, class interface by, you know, by nature of just the history of colonialism, that's always going to be in place, but it is different. And, um, it is challenging a lot of times for black Americans to understand that our experience as Caribbeans, um, are very different. Um, but of course very similar. So I think the ways that that plays out for me, um, being a Jamaican, but also just observing the experience of motherhood for the average Jamaican is that our resilience is almost taken for granted. Mm. So we, um, it's almost like because so many people live in poverty and because so many people have such a hard time and they make it through every day, every day, every day, they just make it through, they just make it through, they just make it through that um, birth, pain, sickness is just like, it's just, that's just what you do. You just mm-hmm. make it through. And so um, I feel like a lot of women don't, are not allowed, you know, to feel and have that pain and that difficulty being validated by the external society mm-hmm. because it just is, right? So um, I would say that's probably the hardest thing for me to observe. Um, taking our resilience for granted yeah 
such a powerful um, observation um, really resonated with me because it's something that I've been trying to articulate this challenge around, you know, even women themselves giving themselves the permission to actually, Mm. you know, admit and articulate when something's not going well and when something doesn't feel right and to give themselves the space and the permission to step into self-care. It's like, Mm. well, my grandmother didn't do that. My mother didn't do that. And she had four jobs and she had nine children. And she, and it's like, yes, we bared a lot. Our ancestors did a lot, right? You know, if you, especially if you're coming from, you know, the slavery line through the Caribbean or the black American experience, like, of course, the survival was the highest value at that time and our work was our productivity and so if you are experiencing pain you're no longer valuable to the system Mm. right and so I think when we're coming from that legacy and now we're in a generation that has the privilege of not needing to you know being that situation but we haven't unlearned some Mm. of those ways of thinking some of those paradigms And that's, that's what I'm seeing kind of come up with women where they're like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to get on with it. And it's like, why you could actually live in a way that feels better for you Mm. and would actually allow for some joy and for some pleasure and for some Mm. good feeling rather than just being in survival mode all the time. Mm. That's huge. So what's something that we can do to move from that mindset? How have you moved from that mindset? Mm. I think I think the biggest thing is experiencing the difference. So that's why something like, like a yoga practice can become so um, addictive almost or so much like a, like a lifeline mm. because once you feel the difference in your body, um, then it's almost like you have taught your nervous system a new way of being and experiencing. Right. And if you don't retrain the nervous system, it stays in that pattern. It literally keeps firing in the same pattern over and over and over and over right. on a really um, subconscious and deep level. And so it's literally a retraining. And um, it can take, so maybe for some people, it's listening to you saying these things over and over. Um, for other people, it might be, um, you know, watching other moms in their space and in their world do things a little bit differently and then eventually hopefully you try it for yourself and then you feel the difference and I think um that's the switch that happens when self-care no longer feels like a luxury um and it becomes a necessity and it just becomes the way that becomes a new survival mechanism because guess what the external paradigm is shifting to the point where we can't, our nervous system can't even keep up with the demands right now. Like it's becoming, ironically, it is now becoming a survival mechanism to switch off the nervous system, off of survival mode, right? So um, before that was how we made it through. And now if we stay in survival mode and in, in sympathetic stress mode, which is literally what the society is communicating that we need to survive, one of my favorite um, online teachers, Sadhguru, he says, he says, stop raising the bar of survival. We are raising the bar of survival. And it, it's, um, it's not sustainable. And our bodies literally were not evolved to sustain that level of turning on of our nervous system. So it's now become a survival mechanism to go the other way. Um, and, you know, and that's something that... Um, 
Rasta philosophy holds dearest. And that's why they've always operated outside of the system. And it has always been about um, turning off that world and on the natural world and on the spiritual world, because that's how we're going to make it. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. That's definitely everything that I feel and believe. And I think, I hope that women listening to this really begin to understand as well is that actually turning in inside and actually tuning in and having that space and that time to realize what's important and actually tune into how you're actually feeling is definitely going to be the way that we now thrive, right? Isn't that funny? (laughs) It's it's a beautiful evolution because it's calling for something different from our humanity. It's it's calling for us to step into this different paradigm and, you know, women like yourself are at the forefront of doing that. So thank you. Yes, Um, And I just wanted to finish on uh, two questions. Um, So you were raising two boys. What is something that you really want them to learn growing up as as your children? Um, I think, so two things are coming to mind. Um, Sensitivity is the first one. And I'm thinking about that because that's what my first son taught me. Um, And you know, just his ability to feel and like, you always know when I'm off or, um, so his, yeah, his ability to sense and feel, and then from there, um, to be able to communicate. So I really try and, um, encourage, um, deep dialogue as much as possible. Um, and he, he helps to, um, carry that through for me in um, my second boy um, because he embodies that so naturally and it's so valuable and I see it playing out for him it's just one of the most beautiful things for me to observe his sensitivity and his ability to communicate because if you think about it I can get you anywhere right if you are able to feel out an environment feel in a relationship and see where there's something that needs to be addressed and then have the tool to address it I mean that's where that's how you transform in a relationship so um, I would say those two things. Mm, and what a blessing that I think as women who are raising sons, it's like we almost have an opportunity to realize perhaps where there are things that we need from our partners yeah. and that their their mothers may have not been able to give them. And we have an opportunity with our, you know, our children to be able to say, okay, well then what does that look like? And in a conscious Definitely. way and in an Definitely. intentional way, set them up with those tools that they can be able to do that. And so, you know, hopefully the future relationships he has will benefit from all of this work and this foundation. And his relationship with me, when he, when he gets big, he can still, (laughs) I'm training him to communicate with me, (laughs) even as a teenager. But it is, it's that that two way, you know, teaching and learning, I think with the the whole mother child relationship. Oh yes. Oh yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the last question is just in terms of women who are hearing this and are really resonating and feeling like, yes, yeah, something needs to change. You know, maybe I'm working too hard or I haven't had enough time to really step into even exploring yoga or naturopathic medicine or, you know, um, creating these mindfulness practices around my children. But I want something to change and I want to begin that journey. What's, what's one thing that they can do to begin that journey yeah so sometimes I think about us just kind of living in a loop right so you just 
get up, go to work, blah, 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 literally a loop. Just an autopilot. Yeah. And so if there's one thing that you can do to just step out of that loop, even if it's literally five minutes on a weekend, but doing it consistently. So that might mean um, having a really small space in your room where whatever it is that feels um, special and sacred to you, um, somehow lighting a candle um, because we've many of us have, were raised in religious um, households or schools or there's just an innate um, um, something about fire that really um, draws us in or reminds us of the magic um, of the world or whether it is maybe your grandma was super special to you and she's passed on and you just have a little section where you just put her picture whatever like literally anything whatever it is that can take you from the loop into a space of just feeling and presence and um, just awe at life itself, not of anything. Mm -hmm. And any, it doesn't need to be, um, you know, it doesn't need, you don't need to be a witch. You don't need to be anything. You just are stepping out of the loop into a space of presence. And um, a, uh, a yoga pose can do that. A breathing practice can do that. But once you just step out, you'd be surprised what opens up. Once you start that one, um, conscious breath work for five minutes you'll be surprised what else you discover on youtube or what mm -hmm. else your friend tells you about or what you know qigong studio you you buck up down the road or whatever it will all unfold from there but it has to start and i think the easiest way to start is um with consistency of something that is going to remind you um, um of the other world that exists outside of the loop, um, which is really yeah. just presence and reverence for life itself. Ashe. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. I think that whole power of ritual, creating the sacred space and just giving ourselves the space outside of the everyday, because there's always so much on our to-do list and even more if you're a mother of young children. Girl. Finding that time and being able to show up for yourself in that way is yeah. the greatest gift. So thank you. Thank you for sharing. Oh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Um, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Um, but yes, give thanks. Have a great day. Speak up so mama. <laughs> All right. Bye. <laughs> Next week, I'll be speaking to Mimi Kuo Dima, yoga and Qigong instructor and we talk about self-cultivation over self-care and her personal journey of healing through multiple miscarriages. Until then, stay blessed. Thank you so much for listening. Head over to soulmomajourney.com for more resources and ways I can support you on your own conscious motherhood journey. For more inspiration, you can follow me on Instagram at soulmomacoach. Also get in touch via email through nahanda at soulmomajourney.com. I love to hear from you what you thought, what you gained. Please take a moment to rate this podcast wherever you've listened to it and please share with others you know who would benefit from this conversation. I appreciate you. Thank you. This podcast was produced by myself and Chris James. Music by my talented friend, Ayana Witter-Johnson. 